Go and turn back to Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 25. We just want to reference very quickly some of the things we read early on. We're going to talk this morning about the problem of worry. And Audrey's handed out to you just some outlines. You don't have to follow the outline during the lesson per se, but it's a reference point for later on. If you want to know when I'm going to be done, you can see on the back page uh, when I'll be done. But things like that. But it's a helpful uh, reference guide for you. But we're going to talk about this problem of worry, how to react the right way to fearful situations. There's not one Christian that will say, I have no problem with worry. In fact, we're quite comfortable talking about, yeah, I worry about this and I worry about that. And, uh, but we know in the back of our minds that Jesus spoke quite clearly about worry, but it's probably become one of our most comfortable sins. Because um, we talk about, I worry all the time. But what if someone said, well, I murder all the time? Oh, we'd say, what? But worry, we're almost, it's almost conversational. But maybe sometimes when we're talking about worry, it's not exactly what Jesus is talking about when he talks about not worrying. So I want to this morning uh, talk about worry. We're going to see the challenge Jesus gave us in Matthew 6 here. Then we're going to look at some things that are not worry at all. And maybe those are things that we need to kind of set aside and not talk about as worry. Uh, and then we're going to look at exactly what is worry, anxiety, what is danger, uh, fear. How do those things work together? Uh, what does Jesus want us to have? What does he not want us to have? And then we'll look at four practical applications on aspects of worry that we have to get rid of in our lives. But first of all, just Matthew chapter 6. Just the... The gauntlet that Jesus lays down here about not worrying. Sermon on the Mount, most well-known section of teaching of Jesus. Jesus says at least three times, maybe four times, simply don't worry. Uh, verse 25, he says, chapter 6, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you shall eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Just pausing here, clearly we need clothes, we need food, but yet Jesus tells us quite emphatically, don't worry about it. But he says, I tell you, do not, it could not be any clearer. Uh, then he challenges us in verse 28, and why do you worry about clothes? So for those that continue on worrying, despite him saying don't do it, he challenges them again with a question. Then if someone still missed the point, verse 31, he says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Then verse 34, in case someone was sleeping through the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Our challenge is to see what Jesus is getting at, which with what we would call basic human necessities or things we have to have, clothes, food. We, we need to plan ahead. That's our part of being responsible. But what is he saying about this worry part that's not to be a component of living a responsible life? What is he trying to isolate? So here Jesus gives this challenge. Nathaniel, there we go, got it. Jesus gives this challenge about worry. In Matthew 6, 25-34, we've got to figure out what he's looking at. Well, first of all, what he's, not, what he's not looking at. I want to talk about four times when our worry is not wrong. I think probably at times where 
too quick to use the word worry to describe something that really is not worry at all that Jesus is trying to isolate. Um, sometimes we use worry conversationally. Um, someone might say in a nice restaurant, well, I'm worried my food is getting cold. The server hasn't brought it to me yet. Well, we're really just saying we're concerned about it. We would like the food to come here. I, we see it. Sometimes I'll be at a restaurant with Elisa, and I'll see it sitting on the counter. And I'm waiting for the runner or someone. I see it right there. Maybe I, I could go get it. Uh, but I might say at the table, I worry about my food getting cold. I'm just using that conversationally. Or when someone says, uh, I worry I'm going to be late, or, or tell someone else, oh, don't worry about it, I, I, got, I got the check. <laughs> We're using it conversationally. That is not what Jesus is going after here when he says, do not worry. Just a conversational use of the word worry. He's also not talking about a legitimate concern. Uh, someone might say again in casual conversation with a friend of theirs, well, I worry about having enough money when I get older. Well, all, everyone wants to have enough money to live on when they get older. And if, but if someone just says it, well, I worry about having enough, they're probably just using it more, again, conversationally, or they're describing a legitimate concern that everyone not only has, but probably should have. We want to have enough to take care of ourselves when we get older. Now, there's no place in Scripture that entertains the idea that, well, just don't do anything and let someone else take care of you. Let someone else do all the planning and you just sit because you're not supposed to worry about it. Scripture doesn't allow that type of mentality. So Jesus is not going after a legitimate concern. Um, uh, if you hear a sound in your car that sounds like the engine's about to go, uh, don't say, well, I, I'm just not going to take care of that. Jesus has the wheel. Uh, you've got to engage responsible things at times. Uh, we have to take care of those simply because that's our responsibility. Uh, sometimes we'll talk about actual dangers. Um, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul here will describe actual danger that he faced. 2 Corinthians Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through uh, 28. And I want to see here that the Apostle Paul here speaking by the Spirit of God about things he's experienced in his life. And we'll see here that the Christian life is not a life where Jesus just removes all the scenarios of danger from us. Sometimes people will face very real danger. Here the Apostle Paul talks to individuals that wonder whether or not he is truly an apostle. And he's trying to address some people that are parading as apostles. But he talks about his own life and what he's experienced as a true follower of God. He says in verse 23, Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk this way. I am more. I have worked much harder. Been in prison more frequently been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, 
in danger from bandits, in danger from my own people, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. Verse 27, I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Notice here Paul's, there's so many things we could talk about, but notice just the reference to he's been in danger constantly in the city, at sea, in the country, and even from false believers. There's legit, there are legitimate dangers that we can face. If you decide to swim out in the ocean, uh, there's a legitimate danger of sharks. Uh, that is something you ought to think about. If you're driving down the freeway at high speed, you ought to think about the danger that you're perhaps putting yourself or someone else in. Or if you're driving in the water or water's flooded the road and your car starts hydroplaning. That is a serious danger. You don't just sit there and say, well, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to get the car through. You immediately react to it. Uh, years ago when I lived in San Diego, I'd go hiking frequently and I'd, I'd often hear a rattle sound. And right along the path, there was, and there, many times I encountered a rattlesnake. It wasn't trying to go after me, but it was letting me know it was there and telling me, just keep on walking, don't bother me. And I did, but I always adjusted what I was doing because there was a legitimate danger in front of me. I didn't worry about it in the sense of becoming consumed with anxiety. I just stepped aside and kept walking. I responded to the danger. And Paul is talking about dangers he responded to simply because he had to. Fourth, he talks about things that are simply a deep concern. He talks about verse 28, that uh, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Being concerned about something is not the same as worrying about it. I'm concerned about my four daughters all the time. There's not a day that I live that I don't think about them and how they're doing in their marriages or one in her singlehood and, and how they're interacting in their church life and uh, are they being safe and I pray for their safety. I pray for their safety that they might be delivered from the evil one. I'm constantly praying for them, but I'm never worried about them. I'm, I'm not spending sleepless nights pulling my hair out about them, but I'm always concerned about them. So there is a deep concern we ought to have. There's actual danger. There's legitimate concern, but sometimes we just use the word worry conversationally. Jesus is not concerned about these things. He's going after something else in this text of Matthew 6 where he says, do not worry multiple times. Well, let's just talk briefly. We're not going to detail everything here, but we're going to talk about simply the way fear, anxiety, and worry and danger all work together. First of all, fear itself is not real. Fear itself is not real. Fear is a product of the thoughts we create. When I was hiking in San Diego, the rattlesnakes were very real. But my fear of them is something that I 
put together in my mind from my knowledge of what snakes look like, how poisonous rattlesnakes were, how I didn't want to be bitten. So I created something in my mind that told me how to respond to this situation. I didn't run off down the mountain and get in my car and drive home. I just walked around it because fear taught me the proper response to the snake. I didn't try to get closer either. I didn't try picking it up by its tail. I didn't try getting a stick to see what I could do. Uh, fear is a healthy thing at times. Fear keeps us from being reckless. My fear of crashing my car and hurting someone keeps me driving the speed limit even when others are not. That's, that's part of being responsible. There's a healthy sense of fear. But the fear is something in our mind. It's a product of what we know about something that we perceive to be dangerous. Fear is an emotional and physiological response to perceived dangers or threats. Fear is an emotional or physiological response to perceive dangers or threats. That means it's in our mind, and it oftentimes is in our body. And psychologists often call it the fight or flight. Like when you uh, see a bear in the woods that was unexpected. <laughs> okay, do I fight this bear? Uh, they tell us that, hey, we need to run up to it and start yelling. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to do that with a bear, because my temptation will be flight, to go as fast as I can to get away with it. But I'm told I'm supposed to pretend like I'm going to fight it, and then it will back down. But that's our fear response to a very real danger. If I run into a bear in the woods, I'm not going to say, I'm just going to let God take care of it. I'm just going to stand. I will somehow adjust my body after my mind tells me there's danger and do something about that situation. And I hope I do the right thing. Fear often is a response to real danger. Look at Mark chapter 4. There's a healthy fear and there's an unhealthy fear. Sometimes it's real danger. The bear in the woods, the shark in the water, the snake on the side of the road, the danger as we're driving. Um, here's a real danger, but notice how Jesus dealt with it. Verse 35, Mark chapter 4, Jesus is with his disciples in a boat. It says, that day when evening came, he came to his disciples. Let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Verse 37, a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Just pause here. This is Luke, I'm sorry, Mark describing a legitimate danger here. It's a squall. Waves broke over the boat, and it was nearly swamped. So it was very real what was happening here. Verse 38, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. His response is the opposite of what you'd think. But here's fear, but yet going the wrong direction. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Verse 41, they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? 
Even the wind and the waves obey him. Many lessons could be learned here, but I just want to isolate the nature of the fear response. First of all, Mark records that, hey, there's something very real here. There's real danger, waves, a squall, the boat is swamped. Jesus here is responding to the danger in an entirely different than normal way. He's sleeping and still sleeping as the storm uh, intensifies. But notice the disciples. Notice here as their fear is kicking in here, it's not to row harder or to get water out. Their fear has now gone awry where they're even rebuking Jesus. They're upset at him because he's what? He's not caring about it. Don't you care if we drown? That's what sinful worry is. Where your mind goes the entire wrong direction and you're doing something wrong with a God-given fear that he's instilled within you to respond properly to things. Worry is simply your mind going in the wrong directions about what are legitimate concerns or fears. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. That's what we see in the disciples here, a wrong reaction. And that's why Jesus rebukes them. He calms the winds and the wave. He has control over them. But he rebukes them about not having any faith. Because his presence changes the nature of the danger. Jesus' presence changes the nature of the dangers we face. Not to become whimsical about our financial needs or about the end-of-life concerns or about... Uh, issues um, of threat and danger in the neighborhood. It's not that we just don't even think about them, but it, Jesus' presence changes the nature. But here, they weren't thinking that way. They were just getting mad at Jesus because he wasn't next door with them and uh, all upset about it, and he was mad at them, or they were mad at him about what he was or was not doing. God calls us to turn our worries, anxieties, and even fears over to him. Because many times fear is not an actual danger like was here, but sometimes our fears are a response to imagined danger. It's a college student in their fourth year, and they realize, I may not graduate unless I pass this course. Legitimate concern. If they get all full of anxiety where they can't leave their dorm room, they cannot really function in the classroom because now they're consumed and it's affecting their body. It's affecting how they just take care of themselves physically. They don't want to be with their friends anymore because they're so consumed about whether or not they'll graduate. That now has stepped into a whole other realm where it's not a legitimate concern, but there's an imagined danger that really hasn't happened, but someone perceives it's going to happen and they're acting like there's a bear in the woods, and they're paralyzed because of what they're imagining that's going to happen. With some, they imagine that there's a relationship that they hold very dear to them. They're going to lose that relationship one day, and they're, they're so fearful that they do harmful things to the relationship out of fear to hold someone really close to them. Some get so fearful about their finances uh, they will literally worry every day about their investments or their checking account. They're worried about whether or not someone is stealing from them. And their whole life is consumed with protecting things, but yet no one's really threatened it. But they're very worried about what could happen. That's what Jesus is going after in Matthew chapter 6 of the Sermon on the Mount, where fears 
out of control. It's not responding properly anymore as it should. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The answer to our anxieties where we're responding to an imagined scenario that might happen is to turn these things over to God. We'll talk about that in just a moment as far as what that means. And that's what Jesus is rebuking his disciples about. They're so consumed with fear, they're mad at him and accusing him of not caring. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, Peter writes, Cast all of your care upon him, for he cares for you. There's some things where God is telling us, I will manage the fear factor. I will manage this. I know you're concerned about it. I know you're worried. But I don't want you having your whole life wrapped up in what might happen. I want you instead devoted to me seeking my kingdom first. As he said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. Also in Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 5 and 6. The Hebrew writer simply says this about God's ability to be trusted. The writer says, verse 5, Hebrews 13, Keep your lives free from the love of money. And be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be what? afraid what can human beings do to me and the Lord is our helper with situations that seek to undo us and this fear that consumes God is looking to remove where we don't see human beings or situations is a threat that the evil one wants us to see them as well how do we do that I want to look at four practical scenarios where fear or worry simply has to go, or this consuming, foreboding presence of anxiety that causes trembles, that causes social withdrawal, or a sense of panic that God never intended for, to be there, four situations and how to deal with it. First of all, when worry has to go, that is, you have to, you, you have to know you have to deal with it. First of all, when you're preoccupied with lesser concerns. Very interesting, Luke chapter 10. Remember the scene with Mary and Martha uh, where Jesus has been invited over? Again, I've had people over to eat, and I've gone out to people, but when you have Jesus coming over, you're going to take it up a notch. And in one way, we shouldn't fault Martha at all, but I want to see what Jesus sees wrong with what's going on in the picture in contrast to how Martha's sister Mary is handling the fact that Jesus is uh, coming over to eat. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. It says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha had opened her home to him. Okay, stop here. Martha has invited Jesus over. I don't know too many people that would dare to do that. But she did, so give her credit for that. She invited Jesus over, opened her home to him. 
Verse 39, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he had, uh, to what he said. So here Jesus is over, he's in the front room, and Mary decides, I'm not going to be in the kitchen with my sister, I'm going to be sitting here just listening to Jesus, because this is a rare moment where Jesus is over at the house. I'm going to listen to him. Verse 40 now. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him, that is to Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Just pause here. Have we heard words like this before? This is exactly what the disciples said on the boat back in Mark chapter 4. Don't you care that we're drowning? That's when worry is wrong. When you start blaming Jesus for what's going on. Here the fear and concern has gone the wrong direction. But still we can kind of feel for Martha. She's in there and she's got five mixer bowls going and, and she's got napkins put out and everything and this is the moment and her sister's not even helping. You can understand it. But here Jesus says this, verse 41, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or, and indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Worry is wrong when we're preoccupied with lesser concerns. Here, Mary sees the greatest thing here is simply to take advantage of being with Jesus. He didn't have any special dietary restrictions. He didn't request a big dinner. He's just at our house. Let's take advantage of the moment and seize it. And Martha, in her concern for doing the right thing with Jesus, is just kind of missing that. She's missing that, hey, you, when Jesus is there, you want to listen. But worry has us running after the wrong things. Worry has us chasing things that are just not that important. I remember growing up, going to church, I'd, I'd hear about people in the congregation that, that they had family coming over that afternoon and they were skipping church. Because <laughs> maybe they didn't get ready for family earlier that week. I don't know what happened, but I always thought even as an eight-year-old kid, that was kind of funny. Wouldn't family understand that, hey, a church and I'll be right over. I'll be there at one. We'll go out to eat or something like that. But people were missing church because they had family coming in from out of town at three o'clock that afternoon. It didn't make sense. But maybe that's kind of touching on what Jesus is seeing here. Our challenge is to seize the moments that are most important. If it's time for prayer, if it's time for your personal devotion at home, don't let yourself get so busy that those things get pushed aside so you make sure you can make it to a movie on time because your friend is meeting up with you there. Things like that. Maybe it's better planning. I'm not sure what it always is. But don't let spiritual things always get shoved out is not that important. And other things that have more of a physical presence get all the attention. So worry has to go when you're preoccupied with lesser concerns. Stop and do something more important. That means prayer, consult God's word, pray with a friend, whatever you need to do. Always do that first. And that'll keep worry at bay. Number two, a worry that has to go is uh, when you're consumed by an imagined outcome. You're consumed by an imagined outcome. Again, finances are probably the number one area where we have a lot of concerns. 
and there's a whole business of financial planning and I see commercials all the time and they paint scenarios about people possibly running out of money when they're retired and they of course want your business, they don't really care about you, they want your money and your business, but they're presenting this scenario of fear to you. That you could actually run out of money, maybe at 73, and you're going to be out on the street and, and, and homeless. And just and they're trying to take advantage of a legitimate concern and try to make it into a fearful moment. And this is where Jesus seeks to intervene. He promises in Hebrews 13, I will never leave you or forsake you. I am your helper. And be content with what you have. What Jesus is looking for us to do is to trust Him and to ride out the storm where we will see that He will see us through. Now, we will still have our part. And you should plan for your latter years when you will not be working or, or at least not as hard. And it's wrong just to sit around and not do anything saying, the Lord will provide. You can't just do that, but also you should not say, well, I, I've got to do this, and what did this person say? And, and all of your waking moments are consumed with making sure that you have enough or you want to live this kind of lifestyle when you're retired, things like that. That's what Jesus is going after. When you're consumed about something bad that could happen or you're consumed with making sure that what you've thought about all your life concerning money and where you're going to live and what you're going to have, and what you're going to drive and what relationship you're going to be with, where that's all that matters. That's what Jesus is going after. Because he's trying to tell us there's more to life than these passing things or these things I will take care of. Life is more than body, more than food. Jesus said life is more than clothes. He's not saying clothes don't matter, but he's saying there's more important things. And the answer is simply to take real steps to control your mind and body. We'll talk in a moment more about prayer and how it works. But sometimes if you find yourself consumed physically with fears about what could help it happen, what could the doctor say when you have that appointment Friday? What could the biopsy results be? What could the blood results be? Or the skin test or whatever it is that you're concerned about. That intervening time is a time a lot of times of a very real concern, but Satan wants to turn it into worry. Sometimes if you wake up, and sometimes that's the worst time when you wake up, when anxiety wants to strike right away. Sometimes the answer is simple physical body exercises. I'll tell my students a lot of times when they come running into my classroom worried about something. Let's take a deep, what? Breath. And there's something very real to that. Sometimes the answer is not going right away to God in prayer, and sometimes the situation may not allow it, like when you're driving, <laughs> uh, things like that, or when you're involved in talking, but you can slow down. And you can relax. A lot of the students I work with have deep anxiety issues. and We do a lot of relaxation things, meditation-style activities in class where I'm just trying to bring down just what they're feeling physically by having beautiful relaxation videos on the screen, having music that is relax relaxing and stuff, because our body will react to that and just bring down the heightened tension. There's a value to that. There's a value to exercise. One of the best things you can do when you're feeling anxiety is simply get out and walk fast. 
Walk fast, because you're changing your body chemistry, which will change how you feel. A lot of times you'll come back from your walk or even a, a short run or whatever you've done on a time on the treadmill. You've exerted yourself and you feel, man, I feel better, but nothing's really changed that I was really worried about. So sometimes there's very simple steps you can take, simply to change if you feel it physiologically. If you feel just things taking over, there's things you can do physically right away that'll help. So when you're consumed with what might happen, take real steps to control your body and mind. Number three, when you're tempted to do wrong things. Sometimes people, when they're overwhelmed with anxiety, they want something to take away the anxiety. They'll turn to alcohol, they'll turn to medications, prescription or otherwise, and they'll depend upon those to always bring them down. And there's a place at times. If doctors have diagnosed you with a chemical imbalance or there's issues where medication can help, that is a perfectly legitimate form of controlling anxiety if it's under a doctor's care and control and the medication's not being abused. But if you find yourself going to pills beyond what the doctor prescribed, or that's always the answer, and prayer is left behind, or exercise is barely engaged, but there's always an answer in the pill that may not be the right direction to go. Because you're tempted to do things that alter you too much. And sometimes people turn to alcohol abuse and they'll use that to try to stifle those concerns or to bring them down, but they just come right back when the alcohol is worn off. Or illegal drugs are used. The answer is instead to turn to prayer, helpful people, and helpful activities. Again, Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, Make your request be known to God. And then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Our first response should be prayer. It can be accompanied by these physical things. You can walk it and pray as you're trying to bring down your physical response to fear, but you can speak to the Lord in prayer as you walk. Or when you get back, you're going to spend your time, now that you're physically able to, to speak to God in prayer. But Jesus is saying throughout Scripture, turn to me first. Don't turn wrong directions. Don't go to wrong relationships or substances or things just to make yourself feel better for the moment, but yet you really haven't addressed the, the concern that you're having that wants to result in out-of-control fear. Turn to helpful people. There's a place for therapy. I know many therapists work with them at school that are tremendous. They don't always have answers, but they know how to ask questions. And they know how to listen. Uh, therapists are great at helping you think differently about something where your mind's on a one track. This is the only thing that's going to happen. But they're, well, what about this? Or how, what, have you thought about this? Ah, I didn't think that's why my family might be responding that way. I didn't. Therapists help you tremendously to think differently about things. They're not Jesus, and they're not going to pretend to be that. They often are resistant to telling you what to do. But they're very receptive to listening and helping you think different, where you can leave after an hour saying, wow, I hadn't thought of that. 
Because again, anxiety makes you think with tunnel vision. There's only one solution or there's only one thing that can happen here. Disaster. There's a place for therapy. Don't avoid it if you need it. Good friends that listen more than talk. Friends that just care about being with you and getting you through times are very valuable. Jesus had James, John, and Peter. He kept very close. Keep the people that are helpful to you very close. They love you just because of who you are. They're not looking to get something out of you. They're not trying to do business with you. They just love you. Keep those people very close, whether they be friends or family. Whoever they are, keep them close. Number four, worry has to go when you're paralyzed by your emotions. What do you mean paralyzed? Uh, you're seized up. Again, if I was hiking and the rattlesnake's right there, I don't want to just stay right there. Because when the snake is making his noise, he's telling me, please move along, John, move along. I was here first, just move along. I'm not going to attack you, just move along. I need to go forward hiking and not stay there and engage the snake and see if I can get closer or how far back do you want. I need to move along. And that's our challenge in life is to move along, continue on living when anxiety and fear wants to consume us and paralyze us. Because our emotions can paralyze us. Again, fear is healthy. We ought to fear certain things. But when it consumes us, that's where Satan is running with it. And our challenge is, again, to do what Jesus says and his apostles. Do not worry. Instead, seek the things of God first and his righteousness. But the things of God first, prayer, association with his people, connection with his word, pursue those things. Those are things you are in control of. Satan wants you all wrapped up with the things you cannot control. But pursue what you can do. Prayer, study, association with other people. Helping other people that are in really bad situations. That's part of God's therapy. Those are activities that are helpful when you're paralyzed. Don't stick with woe is me, but get out and help someone else who has maybe a greater difficulty than you have. And you'll find that that will change your situation as you deal with it. Again, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, casting all of your care upon him, for he cares for you. There's not one thing that Jesus does not see. There's not one thought that is trying to predominate in your mind that he's not aware of. There's not one thing in the future that he's not able to address. Our challenge is to trust him. I want to end with one text. It's not on your outline, but... It's in 2 Corinthians, because we looked at this earlier. Paul talked about all of his dangers. But I want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 8 through 11, then we'll be finished. I want to see what the Apostle Paul said, one who learned to trust in God despite these dangers on ships, from bandits, from even false brethren. Look what he says about how he's handled his life. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. Paul writes, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Verse 9, 2 Corinthians 1. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, 
But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us again. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Isn't that wonderful? This has happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. God raised the Son Jesus three days after death to never die again. He will get you through your financial problems. He will get you through your challenges with aging. He will get you through your school uh, walls and barriers that you're trying to get through. Broken friendships. Shattered relationships. He will not make everything perfect. There's no promise like that. And that's not what he did for Paul, but he will get you through. And you'll look back in your life and you got me through a lot of things that for a time being I didn't know how I was going to ever survive. Don't let worry consume. Have legitimate concern all the time. But make sure you're constantly getting rid of worry where Satan wants to take that concern and turn it to panic, fear, where you're immobilized. Don't let that consume you. Trust in the God who truly cares for you, who will never leave you or forsake you.